to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 34. And the last time the message was titled, what is your house built on? Now, I don't mean do you have a really nice historic home and your basement has like, you know, stones and a concrete floor. Um, This really has to do with what's most important in life because it carries us into the afterlife is what is our spiritual house built on? You know, I like my home. It's cozy. It's comfortable. It's, It's just right for me. But what's more important is what have I put my foundation on in life spiritually? And of course, Jesus speaks about that. So you can get that free off the website. And today the message is titled, Can You Tell the Difference? And the implication as we go through the scripture in chapter 34 is... Are we talking about a leader who's a a true shepherd or a false shepherd? There really is no in-between. There's no neutrality in spiritual things of this nature. And uh, so we're going to look at, surprisingly, surprisingly, we're going to look at government as well as spiritual leadership. Because in ancient Israel, the kings were spoken about. You know, what they did, what they didn't do. But a large part of when you look at Chronicles and Kings is when they when they died. Right. It always says the person was a good king or a wicked king. So I suspect as we go through the message, because we have to really take what's called a diachronistic look, which means it's a big word. It means throughout time. Right. So what does spiritual leadership look like in the time that it was written? What did it look like in the time of Christ? What does it look like today? Are we settling for less? Even this ministry team, right? The pastors and elders and staff and stuff, you know, we should be put up against this true shepherd, false shepherd. Now, of course, God is the ultimate true shepherd. But those that represent him or under shepherds are supposed to be good examples and emulate his example. So I am going to vacillate between government and spiritual. I'm also going to go through time. And you might get a chuckle or two because election day is perfect timing. It's over. Well, it's usually never over. Sometimes it takes weeks. Uh, but I, I suspect that we, maybe in 2021 and in this area, we've settled for less. We've settled for less. Like, do we keep voting the same people in, you know, who really don't fit that criteria? Now, one thing that's very interesting, because I did Revelation recently, I covered the whole book of Revelation, and it speaks about, sadly enough, that our leaders will become more totalitarianist, more fascistic, more dictatorial, the more, especially in the United States, we move away from Judeo-Christian values. Because a man or a woman who's at the top, if they don't see God as over them, they almost act as if they're a God. Now, remember, we see the globalist movement. We see a lot of things going on in this country. Unfortunately, before the Lord's kingdom comes, things are going to get worse before they get better. So everything comes into play. So we're going to see a very aggressive globalist movement, and we are seeing it, which is going to sweep away many countries, including ourselves. It's just what the Bible says, and it sets up that infrastructure and foundation for the Antichrist to rise to power. So let's jump in and see what the scripture says. I'm going to look at this in three parts. 34, and the word of the Lord came to me, the prophet Ezekiel, saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Now, this is a, um, a metaphor of shepherd, sheep, grass, right? What are the, what are the, well, what are the shepherds eating? Maybe grain. It's really not important, but they're feeding themselves instead of, and they're neglecting the sheep that they're supposed to be taking care of. And we're going to go into all these meanings. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. 
The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. Really not a great job description for a shepherd, is it? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains. See, God, God looks at people as his. His. Every soul matters to him. So even though he's entrusted human beings to, you know, self-rule in, in the human race, he looks at everyone as his. He loves all people. And he will hold those leaders accountable one day. He says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Wow, is it 10, 20 sheep are gone now? Who cares? God's like, why aren't you searching for them? Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hands. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. So one out of three is the false shepherds. And again, in God's economy, you know, prophet, priest, king in God's economy, ideally, Right, The prophets and the priests had a role spiritually, but the kings also had a role right, spiritually. And we read that, especially in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, over the millennia, leaders have exploited those entrusted to them in exchange for power, wealth, and comfort. I don't really know how it feels, but I, I imagine if... And again, you're going to see me vacillate between government and and religious, spiritual, etc. I don't know. What does it feel like? Let's say you get elected into office and you get this beautiful, uh, literal office. You get a car to drive. You get a budget, spending money. You can, by fiat, make rules. If you're a governor or a president, the higher you go, the more people are under you. And some, the power goes to their heads instead of looking at them as sheep and in a godly fashion, caring for them. Believe it or not, our elected officials are supposed to care for us. I know it's hard to believe in 2021 in New Jersey, but just just follow, go with it. From you know, Let's follow this for a little bit. Uh, God uses the illustration, why, of the shepherd and the sheep, because humans are social creatures, but also there's the way we were designed, the way we have a social structure is there is a, a need for leadership. There's a need for civics. We see this in Romans 13. A civilized society is is a good society. When there's anarchy, and you see movies made about this, everyone suffers. There's misery. So verse 2, the shepherds feed themselves. Shouldn't they be feeding the sheep? God will expose and hold every leader accountable for how they led. Again, when we look at, um, we can look at election season. So how is this new group of folks? Some of them have been reelected. Some have been booted and someone else is coming in. So we, we need to scrutinize, you know, how, what kind of job are they doing? Should we give them the boot too every few years? Or do we let them, if they do a good job, do we put them, the incumbents back into office? Now you can also look at this with, Um, spiritual things, which is very important. And I think of someone, and I do a lot of research, and you can have my research. I can give it to you. I think of a a man like Kenneth Copeland, and a lot has been done on him. Um, He has a hanger. He's supposedly a a pastor, a minister, has a hanger full of, of private planes. He's worth billions. And he has made statements said somebody's old they're disabled they're sick you know you know just have faith and send me the check instead of your medication send it to me instead of buying your medication and he's been sued families have been totally turned off to the things of god because of this man's behavior here is somebody who feeds himself very well but he doesn't take care of the flock. He fleeces the flock. And I'm surprised that some self-professing Christians still follow this man. 
You know what I'm saying? We have to be a little bit discerning, right? Well, what does it say? What does the word say? And that's why we teach the Bible here. Verse 4, uh, they fail to help heal the, the, the sheep, the sick sheep, uh, but also they didn't go seek them out. In addition to that, he says, with force and cruelty, they ruled over them. I'm going to get back to that. So let's go with uh, spiritual, Matthew 23. Did you know that Jesus devotes an entire chapter to chastising the religious echelon at the time? They were, he, he pretty much, and you, you might read, if you've never read it before, you might go, Jesus said that? The son of God said that? He didn't use profanity. He didn't, wasn't mean-spirited, but he basically was very concerned about how they were leading others. And it's, you got to read it. It's, it's very powerful. You know, there was this oppressive religious system in the first century that got very comfortable with the government. To the point where the government was doing well, they were making money, they were oppressing, and the religious system. They had this weird relationship going on, and people are turned off by that, aren't they? Now let's go to civics. So you're going to see me go back and forth. And I love to, um, I love to do my homework. I'm an investigator, right? I don't just throw things out there and you say, where'd you get that, Pastor Joe? I don't, I don't know if that's right. So, and I did a lot of homework on this. There was a, in Australia, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of harsh rule of the people. If you watch some of these videos, the leaders are pitting the police against the population. The population is having rallies and they're pushing back against the military and the police. It's, it's a horror show over stupid things. There's a woman, her name is Sergeant Crystal Mitchell of one of the larger districts in Australia. She's a police officer. She quit. And she said there's other officers who are quitting too because they feel terrible that they're being made to be goons and thugs over the people because of the leader's totalitarianism. So again, we're flipping back and forth, right? This is a problem in the 6th century BC. It was a problem in the 1st century. It's a problem in 2021, okay? Verse 5 through 6 chronicles the scattering of the sheep. Turn with me to Matthew 9 in the New Testament. Matthew 9, starting with 35. This is God the Son, Christ, who came down to the earth. And he sees them, literally, people being scattered. But it's more that they're physically scattered. But they're also emotionally scattered. They wonder, where, where is God? Does God care about me? Watch what this says here in verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Jesus must have done a lot of walking. You always find him going from one you know, he must have been great in cardiovascular shape. Uh, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But... When he saw the multitude, the masses, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Weren't there governors? Wasn't, wasn't there an emperor? Weren't there religious leaders? Why were these people scattered? Because the civic leaders weren't doing their job. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what Jesus had great compassion on the masses as God, the son, he could see the people scattered and he knew what they were feeling inside. It's very sad. You know, I I wonder sometimes and I look at the uh, the poor, the disabled, the oppressed, even in our own country, you know, when they get attention about four months before election time, right? They get a lot of attention. And then after all the votes are counted, usually they don't get attention for a while. So this is, this is what happens. We see it in Congress. We see it at the state level. Um, and it's very, very sad. However, he says that when they get scattered, they're left as food for the beasts of the field, beast of the field. So let's look at this in real time. Okay, let's look at it from a spiritual perspective. You know, when you uh, have a bad leader in the church or in a ministry, and a lot of times these churches, they won't teach the Bible at all, or they'll reference it here and there, because they can, through oratory skills, they can manipulate you 
to give money, to do whatever, if they're not using the scripture. That's why at this church, you got Bibles right in front of you. If I'm saying something wrong and you see I make a mistake, let me know after, after service. I'll correct it next Sunday. Right? But when you, when you stay with the confines of what God's word says, it's, it's a lot harder because you're inoculated from false doctrine. But there's a lot of false teaching out there under the tent of so-called Christianity. And it's damaging. It's damaging. So now let's look at this in a civic sense. Food, the scattered sheep are food for the beasts of the field. So I was doing a little research and, you know, the crime rate in a lot of these cities is going way up. And I read an article about, very sadly, um, you know, you have Baltimore, you have uh, Washington, D.C., you have Chicago. And first it started with an article that caught my attention where they, the people were taking balloons and putting the name of a person who was a, a, just an innocent bystander who got shot from these gang shootings. You know, they're innocent. These, apparently these gangs can't shoot straight. They kill more of the innocent bystanders than they kill each other. Uh, so they put the name of the victim and they put it on a balloon and they'll tie it to a street sign or something. And in some of these places, you walk by certain uh, you know, walkways and there's just a lot of balloons and it's chilling. So I'm like, all right, which city did that? Then I realized that there's a lot of cities that are doing it. Very sad. You know, it's, it's very powerful. What about the spiritually or emotionally how scattered sheep are food for the beasts of the field? Did you know that the, the number one cause of death in teenagers and young adults, number one, and I got this off the CDC website, is accidents, car accidents, accidents at home, very sad, unfortunate. A lot of them are not preventable. Right after that, a very close second is suicides. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but I hear them imposing all these, you know, COVID restrictions on, on young people. Um, actually, according to the CDC, COVID is number 10. But that's with the seasonal flu and other pathogens. If you, if you isolate COVID, it's actually outside of the top 10. So there's an epidemic of suicides, suicidal ideations, even higher number, where they, they think about it, they ponder it, but they don't do it, right? What are our leaders doing about this? This is a, a, now let's take this and marry it to, sadly, sad marriage. Uh, in 2020, 93,133 people died from overdoses. That's not the ones who were brought back. So that number gets even higher. Right? What are we doing? As what's the, what are the leaders doing? Are they addressing it? So my question is, why do so many young people feel so hopeless about America? Right? We have everything. The best doctors, the best. So it, this is what's going on. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have toyed with running for office, but then I thought, I have such a strong conscience. I thought, well, what if I don't do a good enough job and people die under my watch? You know what I'm saying? So this is something that our leaders, whether they're spiritual leaders or they're government leaders, they need to look at this. They need to look at this because it's heartbreaking. Uh, Verse 10, God is putting the false shepherds on notice. Now, in the first, let me back up a minute. When the temple system, the religious system became extremely corrupt, God allowed the Babylonians in 586 BC to break through the walls of Jerusalem, not only to win against Jerusalem, but they destroyed the temple. So this was the religious center of, of Judaism. However, God saw the such corruption in the religious system that he la- allowed these pagans to come in and just raise the place. It also happened in the first century, the Roman war of AD 66 through AD 70, right? Under the, the general Titus, it happened a second time, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a hegemony over the spiritual system. And Jesus talks a lot about that. But you know what? There's no Pharisees and Sadducees anymore, are there? See, the, the Lord allowed that hegemony, that religious hegemony to be broken up. Um, I got to say that when I witness to people, probably the, my biggest impediment is really not a governmental impediment. They don't say, well, I don't want to follow Jesus because we have a bad governor. They often say, I don't want to follow Jesus because I see what the church has done over the years. Right? And that's sad. So, you know, and I would, you know, they bring up the inquisitions and and all this stuff. And I say, listen, those people who did that were not Christians. 
and the Lord will judge them. They were false shepherds. No shepherd does that. Forced conversions? That doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of sad when you look at that situation. Um, And I'll be honest as well, is that we see a great departure in our current uh, age from the word of God to some of these depressing social constructs that have no hope. Now, I can say, well, yeah, there's other denominations do that. But I could also say that we see it in Calvary Chapel. And some Calvary Chapel pastors are brave enough to share that. Um, So we, we are in a very precarious point in the world where what are people following? Are we following the system that eventually will lead us to the Antichrist rule? Or are we resisting that? Do we know enough about the scripture to say we shouldn't be following these, these things? Um, again, Calvary Chapel has its problems. I've read some stories about the Southern Baptist Convention. And certainly this recent meeting with the Pope, Pope Francis, and some of our elected officials, our president and our uh, congressional leader. However, it's interesting because there's... True shepherds, false shepherds within the Roman Catholic Church, and not my words, there are bishops who are speaking out. Some have been defrocked. Some of them have been removed because the Pope has. This is why one person shouldn't have that much power in anything. So let me read to you Bishop Tobin, who's a, uh, a, a, a big voice on this when the uh, Pope Francis had his meeting with Biden and Pelosi. And it could be Republican leaders. This is not a political issue. He said, I quote, Bishop Tobin, I fear the church has lost its prophetic voice. Where are the John the Baptists who confront the Herods of our day? Of our day? Now that is, is, is veiled, but it's pretty direct. Okay. We see this with Cardinal, Cardinal Burke. We see this with a lot of bishops. And there's, some of them are being true shepherds and others are being false shepherds. But what is the litmus test? And it's true. Are our elected or our spiritual leaders political figures or are they shepherds? How far have they strayed from what God says originally in his words? Right now, let's go back to political. And I'm just going to speak in generalities because I don't want this to be a political message. And if you're new to the church, we rarely talk about this stuff. But sometimes it has to be discussed when we look at leaders mayors, governors, president, um, officials from other countries in Europe, etc., in Australia, when they blame us, the people for COVID, they blame us. When we talk about the supply chain issue, they blame us. They say, you Americans consume too much. You're using too many fossil fuels. When there's hyperinflation, they blame us. That's a problem, folks. And it's something that we shouldn't stand for. And we should do everything that we can, especially with our, in our right to vote, to change some of these things. A true leader doesn't, the shepherd doesn't blame the sheep. The shepherd is supposed to lead the sheep. The shepherd is supposed to die for the sheep, right? The shepherd doesn't point the fingers at, you know, they divide us by race, by gender. Now they divide us by, we look at each other suspiciously. Are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? That stuff is ridiculous. All right, because they're not doing their job. So it is what it is. (laughs) Trust me, by the time we're done, I will have offended everyone. I'm not I'm not answering my emails. I'm not answering my texts. No, in all seriousness, listen, you, you hear me say names. You hear me say dates, right? Um, I have no problem with somebody. I have a friend. I love him dearly. We disagree on some things. He goes, I vet, I vet everything you say. He's probably watching right now. And I say to him, that is awesome. You let me know when I've said something that's not factual. And I will, I will go back next Sunday and I will clear it up. This was several months since we spoke. He hasn't given me anything yet because I do a good investigation. I don't just parrot what other people say. Verse 11, we continue. False shepherds. I'm sorry, the true shepherd, the false shepherds came first. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. 
And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. Now, this is important because it's Bible hermeneutics, Bible exegesis, and people will say, well, first of all, this is the Old Testament. This is before Christ. Remember, Jesus said in John 10 to his Jewish followers, the church, early church was Jewish <laughs> to the chagrin of many today. He said, I have sheep from another fold that I have to bring them in. He's speaking about non-Jews. I have to bring them in and we will have, it'll be one fold. So when God speaks in the Old Testament, sometimes he's speaking about the regathering of Israel. But when he speaks about the, the flock in general and the one flock, it ha- look, at in this church, um, I can look out. We're not a very big church. We have about 20 uh, Jewish people who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the rest of you are from different places and you're not, you don't have a Jewish background. But we're one flock. There's no differentiation between us. And that's the beautiful thing about the church. While they're dividing us by race, while they're dividing us by sex and vaccination status, when we come together in the church, we don't argue about those things because they're stupid. Okay. That's what politicians do. We, we work together. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't, you don't. You want to get vaccinated. God bless you. You don't, you don't. It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, so it works, but let me continue. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. Now when a sheep, you know, they're prey animals. When they are spend time lying down, they feel safe. When they're hypervigilant and don't feel safe, they're skittish. Okay, so there's a lot to this, right? You see the same thing with horses, right? You see horses, they lay down, um, and if there's a bunch of them in, a, in a, a herd and they're all laying down together, they feel at peace. They feel like they don't have to defend themselves. So there's a, you can learn a lot by animal behavior. Verse 15, I will feed my flock, I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring them back. What was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So there is this great uh, separation that happens. Um, God, as you see, and you can read into this, is he's concerned for our spiritual well-being. He wants us all to go to heaven. He wants us all to be with him for eternity. But he also helps us with our emotional issues. And some churches are afraid to talk about it, but aren't we emotional beings? Don't we have our ups and downs? Don't we get depressed at times? Don't we get exhausted? Don't we get frustrated? Especially in today's world, we do. Don't we, aren't we concerned about our kids and our grandkids, our, our, our siblings, people that we love that don't know the Lord? So, you know, God, he, he wants to do all of those things. Right. And as for you, all my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between the sheep and the sheep between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet, the residue of your pasture and to have drunk of the clear waters that you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. So in other words, if you have selfish sheep, Right in the paddock, and uh, there's a clean source of water. And listen, animals um, sometimes are smarter than people. Sometimes they have better social habits than people. But there were some sheep and some shepherds that were taking of the good and being pigs about it. I shouldn't say that. Pigs are cool animals. Um, okay, that's just a, a metaphor. And they were not only taking the best, but they were fouling up the rest of the resources. So read, you understand this, right? Look at this interpretation, right? What's good for me, I don't care about anybody else. It's just good for me and my family. Um, so you see a lot of that. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. So the troublemakers were physically assaulting the other animals and they would become weak and disabled. So again, you're seeing a, an animal husbandry, animal behavior type of scenario, but he's speaking about people. Therefore, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I'm going to get back to that. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. 
He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, by this time, David, the King David had died. He passed away. He was long gone. So what does he mean? We'll get to that. I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them. And again, when you have a shepherd and sheep, their comfort and their safety was in their enclosure. So being able to sleep in the woods where there could be wild animals was a picture of nothing could hurt them. I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hands of those who enslaved them. So it's one thing for a shepherd to care for his sheep um, when their wool gets too fluffy and they can't move and it's a problem. They, they shave it for them and the shepherd will use the, that wool. But this was sheep that now uh, had these bands of, of, and yokes on them. They were being abused by bad shepherds, by false shepherds. They shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Two out of three is the true shepherd. The true shepherd. Again, God is the good shepherd. However, those who lead are considered under shepherds and they're supposed to emulate the Lord. Okay. Um, we see this throughout time. We see this in the new Testament in the parable of the prodigal son, right? The father has maybe other children. He's got it. There's an older brother, but he always searches the horizon for this boy, his younger son who went out and lived a a lifestyle that was uh, dysfunctional and, and could have killed him. And the father just waited and waited for the son to come back. And then he threw his arms around him. He hugged him. He ran to kiss him. Um, so you see that, right? Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Right? So I want to tell you that your God is a personal God. So you may be here this morning and you may be struggling. Maybe you are struggling this morning with a, self, a sense of worthlessness. Maybe you are struggling with a sense of exhaustion. Maybe you, you just feel like in today's society, there's no good news on TV. Maybe you feel that you've been praying and your, a lot of your prayers or some of your prayers aren't being answered. Let me tell you that according to the scripture, okay, even though you're one person on a planet of 7.8 billion people, he still knows you. He knows your thoughts He sees the tears that you cry in in the privacy of your own uh, home. He sees your emotions. He knows everything that you do. He hears every one of your prayers and every one of your words. So I just want to comfort you with that, right? We have to sometimes push away the noise of this world and get into quiet, to a quiet place and just get with the Lord. Can I tell you something? As your pastor, you think God answers all of my prayers? I'd be lying if I said that. However, sometimes I get to a place where maybe the prayer isn't answered, but in my alone time with him, I know that he hears me. I have this sense of peace. I have this this sense of he's got me in his hand. It doesn't always have to be, um, you know, lights and sirens. You know, it doesn't have to be signs and wonders. Sometimes just get into a place where it's just you and the Lord and just rest in him and know that he hears you. Amen. Verse 12. Now, this is the part where we talk about eschatology and times. Uh, I'm going to go into some of these things. But um, in verse 12, the cloudy and dark day, some refer to the tribulation period. I have no problem with that. Uh, Verse 13, as I said, could be a reference to 1948 and the regathering of Israel. Um, But I want to read Psalm 23. 
Psalm of the Good Shepherd, and this is from David. And again, this is, you know what's funny about David? He, he sinned, and sometimes he sinned big. But when you read a story about King David's life, that little shepherd boy who eventually becomes the king, you find that in a lot of instances, he's dealing one-on-one with the Israelites. These are his subjects. They're the taxpayers, right? He could just be like, I'm the king. I'm going to hang out in my castle all day long. But you see a lot of interaction in one-on-one with the king and people. Very fair. He didn't take something for nothing. If he took something or he, he purchased a piece of land, he would give the person a fair value for it. So David did, when he was doing it right, when he was in the spirit, he did emulate God. And David was a shepherd boy. So David kind of got a lot of these understandings in his life. But Psalm 23, we often read these at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, right? We spoke about that. You don't need to be hypervigilant when you're lying in his green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. There's also an element of restoring. There's a component of the mind, right? He restores or he can restore our emotional well-being. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, aim, my enemies. That doesn't sound like a really good time. But if you're able to eat and you're surrounded by enemies, you really have to be trusting the Lord. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? My pastor who led me to the Lord, Pastor Lloyd Pulley, um, he wrote, and you can, you can get it on, on uh, the Calvary Chapel Oldbridge's wall. He actually wrote a, a comparison between what we're seeing today. And some people got offended by it, but he went through Psalm 23. The title of the message is, was, the government is my shepherd? Question mark. And what he was speaking about is how people, even in the churches, are trading a personal relationship and trusting Christ and trusting God for almost the government being their shepherd. Again, it was very, it's very thought-provoking if you read it. I have a copy of it in my office. You know, are we trading the true shepherd for the false shepherds? In Luke 15, there's a parable of the shepherd securing his flock of 99 sheep and going out and seeking for 100 sheep. No, I got that wrong. He secures his flock of 99 sheep and he goes out to find one measly sheep. You're not insignificant. This is the heart of our God. When you look at politicians, right? They want to know how many people can get them over the finish line to get them in office. I've got, and they do this in both parties. I've got, I've got this demographic. Oh, I've got that demographic. Well, maybe these people in this county can get me over the top. This is how they think. They think of us aggregately so that they can get a benefit. God thinks of us individually. We should never trade what the government may offer us or promise us or lie to us for what God gives us for free and sees us as individuals. Amen. Verse 17 through 20. We see the rebuke of the shepherds, but also within the flock. So he speaks about the false shepherds, but he also says that I'm going to judge between sheep and sheep. This is interesting because there's an expression that says hurting people hurt people. Think about that one. Sometimes you see this in a church. A person's been hurt. They have some type of past and they never get the proper care or wellness to be able to deal with it, and then they hurt other people. Things like jealousy arise, things like whatever, uh, and they start to affect other people. And sometimes a person will leave the church because not the pastor, not the church, but because of one or two people in the church that rub them the wrong way. So God says, I'm going to judge not only the shepherds, but I'm going to judge 
between the sheep and the sheep. God doesn't miss a trick. <laughs> he does not miss a trick. So uh, interesting stuff here. He said he would judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't like fat sheep, okay? This is, this is symbolic, okay? The fat sheep exploited the lean sheep so they could never put on any weight. I'm kind of explaining something spiritual. Um, so it's really the exploiters versus the ones who have been exploited. Amen? Okay. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta do that. Verse 23 through 24. Uh, what's this bit about David? David has been uh, long gone, dead and buried, uh, with, you know. So some, some look at this as when, the, and I'm gonna explain the millennial kingdom. When the Lord returns and he sets up this beautiful millennial kingdom, this thousand year reign, that uh, King David will be ruling or leading. And I have no problem with that, but. As long as he's ruling or leading as a sub-regent of Jesus Christ. So when we read the scripture and we see the Lord's return, he's front and center. The saints are behind him. Jesus is doing all the work as he did on the cross, right? He died for our sin. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. He, he did all the heavy lifting, so to speak. So when the Lord Jesus returns... The, there is an understanding in eschatology that um, King David will have a position, sort of like a lieutenant governor, which is cool with me. I'm fine with that. But Jesus will be the reigning king. And, you know, I don't know. Will God have us remember all the political people in our lifetime and say, wow, this is great. This is, he's such a great king, a great governor, a great president. I'm sure we'll really be having a good time with that one. Verses 25 through 30, again, um, I'll just give you kind of the cycle of, of, you know, picture of the end times from the Old Testament, and then we'll close. Uh, so this was the cycle that the Israelites would go through, right? Remember, the Holy Spirit wasn't like today, you know, indwelling every believer. There were sort of ebbs and flows, fillings and such. But so what would happen was God would bless his people. And they would have prosperity. And this is sort of my, my problem with the prosperity gospel. Hey, listen, if you, if you, you know, made money, made millions of dollars, and you did it legally and fairly, and you didn't rip anybody off, God bless you. Good for you. That is awesome. You can do that in America. However, a lot of the prosperity would cause God's people to rely more on their prosperity than God, which can happen. And it, prosperity would lead to debauchery, right? Debauchery would lead, unfortunately, to God having to discipline them, right? You see this cycle. Discipline would often lead, for many, not all, to repentance. Oh, yeah, Lord, we got ahead of you. Yeah, we really messed up. Please forgive us. So there's a repentance, there's a change. Repentance would lead to restoration and blessing again. Now, this is where people get confused, and we, we covered this in the young adults group, uh, two young adults groups ago, about people get confused. They're like, okay, the regathering of Israel. Now Jesus is reigning. Um, wait a minute. We're in the sixth century BC. How does this all shake out? So what would happen was God would give his people encouragement. Now this happens in the new Testament too, by the way, right? He would give the Christians, you know, in revelation and other books, encouragement. And then what would happen was part of that encouragement would say, well, in the, in the future, future, the Lord Jesus is coming back. You won't have to deal with sin anymore. It's going to be great. You're going to be in your glorified body. So in the Old Testament, what would happen is, again, 6th century BC, he would speak of this great regathering in the future, probably referring to 1948 when Israel becomes a nation again. But he would also shoot a little further over their heads past 1948 into our actual future where the Lord Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. Okay, so when you understand that God doesn't have to go chronologically when he speaks about events, see, I'm kind of used to it, but it is a learning curve. <laughs> it's definitely a learning curve because you have to kind of get used to how he speaks prophetically. Jesus in Isaiah 61, in the middle of the verse, went from his ministry all the way to his second return in one verse. You got to be able to catch that. Right? But in the New Testament, it's the same thing. 
the Lord's coming. Uh, Peter tells us people will mock, they'll scoff. 2021, right? It happens. He's like, it's okay. I'm just telling you that these things are going to happen. The more scoffers and mockers there are, the closer we are to the Lord's return. So he gives us encouragement as Christians. When is he going to come back? This world is falling apart. Everybody's lost their minds. It's coming. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how the, the cycles work. So now you can understand why a lot of these things are interspersed in here. Three, let's look at what a true shepherd looks like in the New Testament according to Scripture. Turn to John 10, and then we'll close. Of course, Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. I see definitely a connection. It's an easy one to see between Psalm 23 and John 10. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And you'd have to understand, maybe do a little study on shepherds and sheep, and it's pretty cool how they did their system. Like, I'd be like, if I had like 50 sheep, I would go crazy. Like, what if they, one's running over here, one's eating grass, one's being chased by a wolf. Ah, what would I do as a shepherd? But they have this incredible system. Now watch this. He says, but he who enters by the door, meaning the good shepherd, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And this is actually a fact even today in these rural areas. These shepherds have names for their sheep. And certain, to- my dogs, like they, they, my dogs know their names, one dog from the other. And they, and they, they do this. And I'm like, I know they, know they heard their name. You want to go outside? Huh? You want to get, you want a cookie? Huh? Yeah, food. One of my dogs is totally love driven. You, she could be starving, but if you hug her and kiss her, that she's in, she's, she actually makes these weird noises as a dog. My other dog is food-driven. She loves you, but if you got a piece of meat, she's, and you got to be careful because if you go to put it, the other dog's a lot gentler, she'll, she'll bite your, not meaning to. That was too much information. <laughs> but I love that the Lord gave us the animal, animal kingdom. I really do. I love animals. So he, all right, he calls them by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They did an experiment where uh, like three, three shepherds with uh, mixed sheep. This, these are actual experiments. And each shepherd had a different call. So you have like a hundred and something sheep. They all start to divide into three paths and line up in front of their shepherd. It's pretty amazing. Jesus knows, he's God, he knows everything. His, his analogies are incredible. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Let me ask you this morning, do you know the voice of your good shepherd? If you don't, don't be ashamed. We'd love to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus, and you'll start to understand his voice. You'll understand what he's saying to your heart. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Some of those thieves were religious leaders at the time, and he said as much. I have come that... They may have life and that they may have it abundantly, more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling or a hired person and not the shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep which I have are not of this fold. Remember, we spoke about that. Um, it's a tip-off to Gentile inclusion. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Understand that, because people ask this question, well, so, so is there favoritism? No, no, no. In the Old Testament, if you were a polytheist, a pagan, and you, you did these weird practices, um, but you just, the, the Jews would witness to them like we witness to people today, right? Um, they could come, no, no matter what their ethnicity, God doesn't care. If they started to worship the one true God, they were in that fold even back then. But Jesus tips us off to a massive 
And even today, if you look at the aggregate numbers, Gentiles probably number much higher than Jewish people when you look at the church and who's in the church. So he speaks about that. Uh, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life and I may take it again. No one takes it from me going to the cross, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. So Jesus had power to go to the cross, but he also had power to take it again, the resurrection. This command I have received from my father. So pretty heavy stuff. I think that, I think that we, we really have the point here. Um, it should guide us in how we run our lives. It should guide us in what we listen to, especially when it comes to spiritual things. It should guide us when we, when we listen to leaders and we can sense that somebody really cares about the people or doesn't care about the people. And that should, that should guide us in how we live our lives. I'll leave you with this, the last verse, where God says, he says, I am your God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. He says, you are my people. I am your God. As the sermon title indicates is, can you tell the difference? Number one, can you tell the difference when you go out into the world to know who is good and who is not good? We're not supposed to judge the hearts, but we can judge the fruits. I did give some names. I did give some examples. It's a pattern. Those people can repent. Some people have repented. They've done it publicly, public figures. Some have not. So, but the most important thing is, folks, is that God is a personal God. Yes, he is the shepherd. Yes, he could have billions in his flock, but he can still call you by name. He sees you when you're hungry. He sees you when you're thirsty. He sees you when you're tired. You know, he is, he loves you. He's your father. He's your shepherd. He's your creator. So consider that as we leave today and we go into the winter season, take that home with you, hide it in your heart and never forget it. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.